I'm Pamela Topchian, and I live in Northern California. I grew up in the Midwest, and I am a former nurse, certified hypnotherapist now, and a pet sitter now, and I have written my memoir, which is all about a life of trauma and a total mental breakdown and then coming out of that mental breakdown to now living a life that I absolutely love more than I would have ever thought possible. So that's who I am and what I do. So I want to ask, there's a bunch of jobs you've have or had. Yes. And writing the book, what motivated you years ago to want to write this book? What was the thing that sort of kicked it into gear? Yeah. So Well, as I had mentioned, I had had a total mental breakdown, and I was kind of writing it for my own self, almost like a journal. Can I ask about about that? So to to you, what did that look like? How did that manifest in your life, what you call a total mental breakdown? What were you before it, and then what what was it like in the throes of that? Sure. So um, I had had two abusive marriages, so I had just gotten out of the second one. And after that second marriage, which was abusive in every way, I couldn't function pretty much. I wasn't able to pretty much function really. And just going downhill fast, I had suicidal thoughts. I had night terrors, um, very fearful all the time and just barely taking care of myself. So that to me was my total breakdown. That's what that looked like. Um, had the departure from the second marriage, had it been very different than the departure from the first one? Was yeah. the second one way worse than the first one? What was the difference? So with the first one, I had been married for 15 years. We had children together and um, we had went through marriage counseling, tried to hold it together. Um, and it was more of your typical kind of divorce and departing of ways. Whereas the second one, I was knocked unconscious and had to call the police to get out. And I, that's how I left. And, um, and so then from there, going to live on my own, divorce, going through the whole divorce process, um, restraining order, all of that. So very different. And we didn't have any kids together. And by that time, my kids were, well, my youngest was a teenager. So they were pretty much grown by that time. Um, can I ask, did, when you went back and reflected, when you, maybe you, it sounds like the book might've started with, I just want to get these thoughts out and mm-hmm. I want to get my thinking out. And then, oh, maybe this could be a finished product at the end. Yeah. Did this second marriage feel like a complete, completely connected to your life story from the very beginning? Or was this like this horrendous detour out of your normal life? No, see, so that's part of it too, is that I did not realize how much of my childhood really led up to my life as an adult. And writing it out was part of what helped connect those dots. And I was, I had already started in therapy. And my therapist uh, said to me, you know, we talked about my childhood and she's the one who brought up CPTSD, which I had never heard of. And she's the one who brought up neglect. And I never thought I was neglected. I thought we were poor. That's it. Like a million other people, right? <laughs> Wait, everybody knows Everybody knows PTSD. What is the C in PTSD? Yeah, Post-traumatic so, stress disorder. What's that C? So that's complex. Um, complex 
post-traumatic stress disorder, which means it's compiled on throughout your life. There's a lot of different traumatic experiences throughout my whole life, starting in childhood. So, um, so being able to connect those dots to this is what happened throughout my childhood. And of course I would end up in two abusive marriages because of the childhood, you know, trauma and not knowing any better or having any kind of, um, self, you know, identity or knowing myself or being able to have any coping skills or understanding of boundaries or, you know, even self-care in any way, really. So, yeah. <laughs> if, you, uh, if you want, so CPS, CPTSD sounds way more complicated. I mean, just in the name complex. Yeah. Having to feel how individual moments or events map together uh, seems way harder to untie. So yeah. as you were kind of presented, as you were talking to a therapist and the therapist is saying, well, don't you think this childhood thing you've told me about might have been connected to that? And this thing that happened to you when you were a teenager might have been connected to that. Yeah. Your attitudes here might have been connected did that sort of make it all come clear to you or was it like, cause it sounds complicated. And I think sometimes if you can identify an event that was difficult, you can tackle that event as, as hard as it is, you know, it's this one thing that happened yeah. when it's a bunch of things that happened. How do you untie that? Well, I was very confused going into therapy because I thought, what the heck am I going to talk about? So I was beat up <laughs> by an ex-husband, okay. you know, and uh, like so many other people, you know, I was beat up by an ex-husband and I left and, and everything should be awesome now. Right. Yes. <laughs> so I was like, I don't know why I can't get over this. So I thought I was going for that event. And then, so I was confused going in. That actually cleared it up for me. It was like, oh, now it makes sense. Now it makes sense why I'm having this breakdown, why I'm feeling all these things and, and having, you know, it just sort of came down on me. That was the last straw kind of a thing. So, so yeah, it cleared it up for me actually. Um, and we unpacked it all. <laughs> And it was really helpful because when you don't understand why you're going through this, then to have some sort of reason behind it, then you feel a little more in control as to, you know, I'm not going to stay like this forever. Or, you know, I can remember the day in the therapist's office that I could kind of see a light at the end of the tunnel and think, oh my gosh, I'm going to be okay, you know, because I didn't want to live like that. I knew I couldn't live like that. And in fact, I was suicidal because I wasn't going to live like that. And so just the sort of big epiphany of, oh my gosh, it's going to be okay. <laughs> you know, it was really an amazing turning point for me. So you remember that session and you're yeah. like, that was the turning point. What, what at that moment? And again, you can go into as much detail as you want. What were you talking about or what were the things that sort of mapped together that all of a sudden you had some sense of hope that before you'd gotten frustrated and you were suicidal ideation and feeling depressed about mm -hmm. the situation? I think that we, at that moment, so we had already unpacked a lot of the childhood stuff when we were getting into, I was doing EMDR therapy at that point and we were getting into the exact. Would you moment. tell me what, would you tell me what EMDR is and how, and how it played out in your therapy? Sure. So it's eye movement, um, EMDR, eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing. And it's, 
so there's a few different ways that people do it. But for me, mm-hmm. I had these things in my hand that buzz uh, one and then the other one and then the other. And I don't remember if I had an eye mask or I closed my eyes, but um, I also had headphones on that buzzed. And so it was just like you would supposed to move your eyes each time you hear a buzz. And it was, it helps you to sort of, it gives you something to focus on so that you can talk about or so that you can, the therapist can say something to you about the event or an event or a situation and you can feel how it feels in your body and see it from a different perspective than just trying to talk about it. Because I, I still have a very hard time with emotions and there's a very, there's a few different reasons for that. But at that time I could barely talk about anything. And so she was trying to get me to be able to be, to, you know, talk about it. So, um, so yeah, so that's what we were doing at that time. And I think that that big epiphany moment came when, um, we were talking about the event of being beat up when I had to call the police to get out and asking kind of what I would do differently now and how I could see where, you know, everything led up to that point and what I could have done differently. And then it made me think that I, I am going to be okay because I'm thinking differently and I understand more about my life differently now and so it was just a big kind of, you know, light at the end of that tunnel. That was the big turning point as far as I know I'm not going to, um, you know, unalive myself, you know. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, I'm gl- That's so interesting that it sounds like some of the stuff, the epiphany part of it was you could see decisions you'd made because I wanted to ask about that. I think sometimes the road down, the road if you've, been in a difficult situation and you are liable to self-criticism, then your inclination is to think about all the things you did or didn't do that led to that situation and that it's your fault and you have guilt about it. So I'm curious about how you untie the thinking if you think, well, these things were done to me as a kid and then I become an adult and now, you know, as an adult, I'm responsible for my decisions. So then you think if I was in an abusive situation after the fact, you're like, I made decisions that led me there, and that feels bad and guilty. Will you tell me why it was hopeful when you think about, I made decisions along the way. I mean, is it, I won't make those decisions again? Why did it feel good? Yeah, I felt empowered that now I had new information <clears throat> and new um, a new sense of self, really. Um, I was a different person after that, and... I knew that um, I wouldn't be put in that position again. So, yeah. <laughs> did it um, did it feel like new explicit boundaries, clear boundaries that you had set up or were setting up? So things kind of like guardrails in your life to say, I won't ever make that decision again. Or did you kind of feel it in your bones that like I've come over the this hill and I can't, it's a new horizon. I physic I couldn't do that again. It's just not possible. I'm a different person. Absolutely. So did you kind of set up guardrails or different person? Absolutely, one hundred percent different person. Okay. It's like a it was. <laughs> it's a rebirth. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was um, stepping out of there. I was a totally different person, and um, and yeah, of course, with that new person, there are new guardrails that were up. Um, and new boundaries in my life. 
and things that I just would not, you know, accept, you know, no matter what. Um, so, so yeah, I was a completely different person and now in my life. So that was actually not all that long ago. That was about 2017, 2018. Um, and now there's nothing that I do that I don't absolutely love doing. And I'm not talking about your day to day cleaning the toilet and washing the dishes, <laughs> but you know, but I love pet sitting so, so much. And people will ask me, well, do you like it? <laughs> well, I'm not going to be doing it if I don't like it, but I actually love it. And I'm going to turn away clients that aren't right for me. And doing hypnotherapy, I love it so, so much. And, you know, I, like I mentioned, I'm a former nurse. And somebody asked me, the other day, because I am called, like, I get emails, and, you know, would you come back? You know, we, we have this program for retired nurses, blah, blah, blah. And I had to think about it. Somebody asked me, you know, what would it take to get you to come back? And I thought, you couldn't give me $5 million to come back. <laughs> I would not come back. So, yeah. <laughs> what is it? So you did, you did nursing was... <clears throat> was nursing bad for you, um, state of mind or whatever, could you, in a different state of mind, could you have done nursing forever or nursing came out of a, a bad direction for you and you wouldn't go back? In other words, did you burn out on it or was it never right for you I and don't, you did it for kind of messed up reasons? Yeah, I don't think that it was ever right for me, but I don't think it's necessarily me as it is as much the whole system. It's not, I, I'm very much, you know, I, I follow the rules, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to go in an exit door, you know? <laughs> so, uh, so I'm, I'm very kind of strict and I was kind of known as, oh, she's a by the book nurse, you know? Um, and it's really important to me. And so much of it was kind of, you know, just kind of corrupt. So much of it was done, things we shouldn't be doing, things that weren't safe, things that weren't according to the law. Um, and I just couldn't work in those kinds of situations. So it was more that than not right for me. I think if ever in a perfect world, <laughs> nursing might be right for me. But um but yeah, it was not a perfect world and it was not what I thought it was going to be or what the nursing courses showed you that it was going to be or showed you that it should be. You know, I was, you know, disgruntled, you know, pretty early on. Yeah. Is there a particular protocol or a particular situation that crops up a lot or that cropped up a lot for you that when you think people were not following the rules and needed to be following the rules. Is there like an example you could give of something that you might be asked to do? And you're like, it's so clearly wrong, <laughs> but because we're busy or it'll save money or the patient wants it, we're going to go ahead and do it. Yeah, definitely. Giving medications that weren't prescribed to the patients or stealing medications from one patient to give to the other I mean, it kind of makes sense because if they have the same one and this person is out of theirs, then we're going to take this one and maybe give it back later. But, okay. but if we are just nurses, we don't know that did somebody else 
discontinue that medication? What's the reason they don't have their medication? And maybe shouldn't we call the doctor and ask, but man, that's going to take forever. And here we've got this patient who's looking for their medication. So yeah, that's a big one that stands out for me. And I could see that is an easy one to justify. Mm -hmm. We're just, you just, you're like, you understood the thinking. Look, there'll be five pills down, but they have 30 left. And this one, they ran out. And yeah. in the moment, it's just easier not to go through the pharmacist, not to go through right. the doctor, not to go through all this rigmarole. Yeah. So you think you're being, again, you're being efficient and <laughs> you know, you're just kind of cutting the line a little close. Yeah. What do you love about pet sitting that oh is so goodness. different? Because I could see some people who like nursing hate pet sit, even if they like animals, they right. hate pet sitting. It seems like maybe maybe it's choosing your clients because it seems like you'd get a kind of people who are picky about this stuff. And I don't know, how is why do you like pet sitting so much? So, well, I do love animals. Um, and I live in an apartment, I've moved around a lot in my life. So it's never been really the best situation for me to bring animals into my life for me to be a pet owner. Um, so that's a big part of it is that you know, I get to have all these fur friends and take care of them all. And, and they love on me and I love on them and I get paid for it, you know, <laughs> and I don't have to pay for their vet bills and I don't have to clean up for them in my clean up after them in my house, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> well, so you have almost like the aunt, uncle, grandma, grandpa thing. Exactly. Where they're not my kids. I get to hand the kids back to the parents at the end of the day. Exactly. And I have said that several times. I'm like the grandma, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, do is uh do you know so it sounds like you just have kind of a good boundary about sometimes I need to move the apartment's not so great for whatever a large dog or as many animals as I'd have if I open the door <laughs> is there do you think about is it not that important to you to have an animal that is yours? Is right. that something, a future thing? Or actually you're like, I kind of like this being around animals. I don't need to own them. I could just visit them. Right. That's enough. Right. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And I love being able to help people as far as have peace of mind when they want to, you know, when they need to go away, whether it's for a family thing or, or a business or whether it's just for a trip. Um, most of my clients are really affluent people who go like a, across, you know, to different countries and stuff. And, and it's really takes a lot on both sides, really a lot of trust um, that you put into somebody to have them in your home. And um, so I just I know that, you know, I'm somebody good for that. And there are horror stories out there. So we both really benefit from you know, from me doing this. And if the day ever comes that I don't enjoy it and it becomes like a chore or just too much for me, I wouldn't do it. So, yeah. I know that. So as you talked about things like this, 2017 isn't that long ago. Are there still, um, are there particular threads in your personality or you can feel a yearning? So a yearning, what, what, I'm curious about the desires or the yearning that kind of came out from childhood into adulthood and now why they're not as strong, like a pull toward a particular person or an attraction to a particular behavior. And now you're like, I hold, I keep myself away from that. What were some of, if you want to talk about them, what were some of the, the pulls that made it so that you might wind up in situations where you did experience abuse? Well, I think self-respect and knowing myself you know, really knowing myself, whereas I kind of would go along with a lot of things and a lot of people just out of, 
You know, like if, if a man was attracted to me, it would be like, oh, that's nice. He likes me. You know what I mean? And I would just kind of go along with it um, and didn't know any kind of how, what's, you know, having, not having self-respect or even knowing who you are, you don't have sort of those boundaries or to know what a good relationship looks like and what it's supposed to be and, and how to be a good partner even and how to stand up for yourself when something doesn't seem right or how to even have those deep conversations. So all of that um, is a part of who I am now. Yeah. With, with the book, I could see how processing that stuff for yourself is so important. Mm-hmm. What do you kind of hope now, having written a book about the experience, what do you kind of hope people get from it? Is it hearing your story or do you feel like you learned lessons and now you have lessons you can share or maybe both? Well, I don't think there's a whole lot of lessons in the book. It's really just sort of like me telling my story from start to finish, not finish, but you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm still going, <laughs> but you know how I got out of that situation. So my hope is to show people, especially, you know, my age, I'm in my mid fifties and there's so many people that have had a lot of, um, traumatic experiences in their life and they get sort of stuck in life and they're just kind of existing. And my hope is to show people that you can get out of whatever you've been through, however long ago or whatever you're going through, that there is hope that you can go on to, you know, not only live your life, but to love your life that just giving people hope and inspiration. That's the whole reason for my book being published. Um, so people don't feel alone. So they know that they can get out of those situations. I had read quite a few memoirs of people who have been in much worse situations than me and got out of it and go on to do amazing things with their lives. And that's kind of gave me the inspiration to publish mine because I thought a lot of those feelings and situations I could relate with. And I, it helped me to not feel so alone and to realize that there is hope to get out of it. So, you know, to get out of um, that life. So that's when I wanted to publish mine. How did you dip your toe? I assume, were there periods where you hid parts of your life from people around you? And then now you have this epiphany and you're feeling better and you're feeling like a different person. You think, I want to publish this. As you thought about the vulnerability of taking personal things and sharing them, were there certain things you decided I don't want to put in there or were there certain things you were initially really scared to present publicly to anybody? Well, there wasn't things that I was scared to present publicly, but there are things in there that even my family and my closest friends didn't know. And so putting it all out there, definitely a vulnerability factor, um, but uh, so my mother, she now has a little bit of, she's starting some dementia and there's a lot about our childhood and a lot about, you know, things that she didn't know and things that would just really break her heart if she did know. And so I have kept that from her. So she doesn't know. And then the other sort of elders in the family don't know. And um, like some of my cousins know, and my sister maybe knows. Um, I don't know. We don't have a good relationship. But um, my children know. But um, yeah, it's just I wanted to kind of protect my mother's heart, you know, so she didn't feel bad. Um 
Because I don't know that she even thinks of our childhood as neglectful. You know, we didn't have, she was almost never around. We didn't have enough to eat. We moved a lot. We were evicted sometimes. Um, you know, I had surgery on my feet when I was, I think, 15 or 16 because uh, I had worn shoes that were too tight all my life. So I had bunions at a very young age. Um, so just a lot of things that would um, really make her feel bad. And she's, you know, in her 80s. I don't want to make her feel bad, you know. Um, she did the best that she could. So, yeah. Okay, how do you make sure that I always I do wonder about this? I mean, you probably don't think, look, my book probably won't be propelled to the New York Times bestseller list. Right. So I won't have to worry about wild celebrity. But still, like you said, <laughs> your children, people yeah. in the family know you write about it or know you have the book. Mm -hmm. So do you ever worry like somebody will decide somebody that you kind of you're you're not you're not angry if they read it, but you think they probably don't want to read it and they do and then hand it around. Were you worried like this will get to mom eventually? I think if my sister knew about it, she would. And the only reason would be because she's always kind of in a little um, in a little competition dance with me, whereas she wants me to look bad to mom. <laughs> okay. <laughs> she wants mom to be mad at me. But um but my, I don't know that like, I imagine, so I talk to my mother once a week, I imagine I could tell her about it. And she like, wouldn't really even process it. And she is like on Facebook and stuff. But she has had so much trouble this last year, even with her computer and that, that um, I don't think that even if she saw a post about it, it would really register what was going on. So yeah. Can I ask? I'm cu I'm curious about this part with the parents because I had um, my dad was an alcoholic growing up, mm. and he did the best he could, mm -hmm. and he was a really good dad, but he had anger problems mm -hmm. and he drank. Yeah. We I had a very stable life, but a drinker. Yeah. And but I had a chance to go talk to as an adult. I went back to my mom and dad, and I was able to have conversations about. This is what it was like for me as a kid. Mm -hmm. Why are you like this? Why am I like this? Why was our family like yeah. this? And to kind of dig into, was there anxiety, depression? Mm -hmm. Are you, I'm, they didn't know, like, I didn't know that was traumatic for you. Or So I got to have, as an adult, adult conversations yeah. with adults. Have you, do you feel like you've had like those conversations that are like epiphanies or you hope to with members of your family that live through trauma in childhood and adolescence? Well, I... So my, my father died before I ever had any conversation with him. And we always, I always thought that I would be able to have a, one of those kinds of conversations with him. And I, I never got to. So my mother started getting these, this early dementia and it's just getting worse so, so fast that I know I've lost that opportunity with her as well. And I feel like with my children, so that's another thing is that I know I didn't know it at the time, but I've realized since that, that is part of why I wrote the book too, to have, so my children have a record of my life and any questions they have or anything that they wonder about throughout, you know, cause obviously when I had the kids, I was still, I wasn't my, who I am now, you know, but they both know that I have a good relationship with them. And, um, we talk now and they know I wrote the book and neither one of them has read it yet. But, um, but I told them, I, I asked them, I said, just, I, you know, I don't mind if you do or you don't, that's completely up to you. I understand that you might not want to read it now, but, um, 
when after I pass, if you guys would read it, <laughs> just tell me that you will, because <laughs> it might bring about some, you know, some epiphanies for you, you know, but um, I kind of think that like one of my exes might get a hold of it and be like, you know, try to say some of it isn't true or try to put me down in some way or whatever. Um, I'm not real worried about that, but I wouldn't be surprised if that happened. So, yeah. And I, I also tried not to put as much as my kids are, you know, a part of your life. I tried not to tell their stories and that was kind of hard. Um, that's the main thing that was kind of hard to, you know, I'm not getting too much into their lives and what went on for them. Um, so that was something I had to be real mindful of when I started thinking about publishing. I, I think that's a really good tack to take about yeah. I'm telling my experience, but then you do real. it's interesting. If you write about your personal experiences, you realize you're kind of assuming or telling some, you think, you know, what happened with that person or why right. they did something, but since you don't really know, then you're like, well, maybe I'll back off and I won't tell that story because I don't know why they did that or I don't know what they were feeling at the time. Right. I think they and, felt this way, but I don't know. Right. And I, I put in there in the very beginning, I say this is from my own perspective and my own memories, you know, that so because that's really all it is. I definitely fully understand that everybody, you know, you could be in the exact same situation and our experiences are totally different. So, yeah. And I also changed all the names. I mean, my own name is on the cover, but all the names within the story are different. But if you are, if you know me well and you know my family, you know who everybody is because the names are similar. <laughs> right. <laughs> if they, if they could, if they could reconstruct your family tree that they would know who these people are <laughs> following you. Right. Right. Are you the only person in kind of your near family and distant family who feels like who's sort of gone down this journey of self-discovery and wanted to talk about difficult feelings with family? Because I feel like sometimes I'm the weirdo in my family who is the one who wanted to talk about this stuff. And it helps other people talk about it, too. But nobody before me sometimes in these conversations would broach these topics right. about our childhoods or about what's messed up. Like, I've got anxiety <laughs> or I've got depression and talk about those stuff. Are you the only person in the family or are there other people who, like, talk about their feelings, too? No, I'm the only one for sure. Okay. <laughs> and I'm the only one that's like, you know, moved away a lot. And, you know, I'm on my third marriage now. And, and you know, thankfully, and, and it's definitely a very respectful, loving relationship. I just want to put that out there. And I would not have been able to have this relationship had I not been through therapy. Um, so, you know, I'm the only one that has, I've always been kind of, I guess the outsider a little bit. Um, I was a teen mother and I'm also the youngest in my family. So my cousins and everything. So the generation that I'm in, I'm the youngest and I was the first to have a baby at 17. <laughs> so I kind of feel like it almost started then that I kind of became a little bit of like, Oh, what's going on with her? <laughs> you know? Uh, so I'm just curious, how did you pick this spot in Northern California? Was just <laughs> randomness? Oh, my goodness. Well, um, <laughs> so when I had the big breakdown, okay, um, I was 
renting a little house, a little two bedroom house. And I had a friend that was also very anxious and, and it was a male friend and we were kind of dating, but no, we couldn't really date. We were both in the same kind of spot. And we, um, so we talked all the time on the phone and he had a friend in California who told him, why don't you come out to California and restart your life? And, uh, you know, you could stay with me and, and, um, you know, and I'll help you get back on your feet. And so he, so this friend, I didn't know this friend in California. So this friend of mine said this to me that he was going to be doing this and maybe that might be something I wanted to do. Just move away and start over somewhere. And I was like, hmm, I don't know how the heck I'm going to do that, but you know, I'll give it a thought, give it a, you know, think about it, I guess. So I was renting this place and I told my landlord, I said, just a heads up, I may be moving out of state before the lease is up. I just kind of want to give you a heads up and see what needs to be done, you know? And with that phone call, they said to me, oh, good. We were thinking of selling the place anyway. Can you be out in two weeks? What? I know. What a <laughs> And so again, I was like, uh, I, I'll try. <laughs> and I was. So, so I looked for, um, it was the only reason I came to California really was because that's where my friend was going. You know, I didn't know. So my son lives here actually in San Francisco. So we're still like five hours away, but, uh, but that wasn't really the, the main reason for going there. But, um, so I, uh, so I started looking for, so since I was a nurse, I was still a nurse at that time and you can't get a nursing job right away. But also I was in such a state that a mental state that I knew I couldn't be doing any nursing work. So I found live in sort of caregiving situations Mm -hmm. to try to, and there's a lot more of that here in California than there is anywhere else. But I, so I had set up a few different you know, called people, set it all up and was able to do that. So within two weeks, I had sold everything, you know, or gotten rid of stuff, got a one-way ticket on a bus (laughs) and uh, got on the bus, the Greyhound bus for a three-day ride from Missouri to California. And California has worked out for you, it sounds like. Yes. And California is where I was able to get my therapy you know, while I was, you know, doing this, uh, in-home caregiving stuff, sort of like you didn't have to wake up with an alarm and you didn't have to, you know, go to work to care for people. And, um, yeah, so it worked out for me. Yeah. I mean, it took, I actually had a few different, a few of those kinds of jobs that didn't work out well before I, so I kind of bounced around a lot, even within California until I kind of settled about 20, I guess, 18, you know, after therapy, really. Looking for a job that would kind of fit the kind of life that you wanted to have. Yeah, that would allow me to heal. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think are there, is career a big focus for you now? Is uh, relationship family a big focus? Or is art, I mean, are you going to do more writing? What is, what is your, what is your dream direction? So I, um, I am writing a second book. It's on my nursing career. 
Oh. Yeah. And so I am also taking a course for integrative healing arts practitioner to go along with my hypnotherapy. So my goals are to grow my hypnotherapy practice and because I do that on the phone or through Zoom. And so while I'm pet sitting, I can still do that from wherever I'm at. So it's a great mix. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I love writing. And, um, and so yeah, I'm working on that second book and growing my hypnotherapy practice and loving every minute of it. 